The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. What I wanted to speak about tonight, I, I taught the, the intro class uh, right before this, this session here. And so I was basically um, talking about what mindfulness meditation is and how and what it isn't and how to practice it in a way that's easy, easeful, and um, enjoyable. So even for experienced meditators or people who meditate all the time, sometimes it bears um, uh, going back. It's worthwhile to go back and uh, look at what we do in our practice because um, we can come to talks, which are great thing to do. We can read books. We can go to teachings. We can do all this stuff. But in the end, what happens within us, the experience that we're able to know and be with, is what really matters. All the rest is just a mental exercise. And the finger that points at the moon, so to speak, is not the moon itself. And it's really, it's so easy to lose sight of that. Because um, we can get really busy and, and thinking that we're doing things in a certain way and the right way and we're spiritual people and so on and so forth. And we all are. But um, sometimes that just gets in the way of what's really happening. So we hear these talks, we read these beautiful teachings, and then we sit down and what happens? You know, the mind is like a catastrophe. It's just all over the place. And even if you've meditated for years and years, really intensely, you can still have that same experience. So what do you do when that happens? A lot of people just freak out and suffer. A lot of people think they just, you know, grit their teeth and say, oh, you know, at a certain point it will pass. And it does, you know. Everything is a process that comes up in plateaus and goes away sooner or later. But um, there's a way to use our experience that actually helps us in our meditation itself. There's a way to use the moments of our daily life lived experience, not what we're thinking, but what we're actually experiencing, to help us cultivate the habit of meditation or the practice of meditation, the real practice of meditation, so that we can we can come to know what our experience is without pushing it away or thinking that it should be other than the way that it's actually presenting to us. So what I noticed in my own practice <clears throat> is that <clears throat> an experience will arise and I will, without realizing it, receive that experience 
way out here. It's like if you had a telescope that was like one of those scopes that keep opening up. Well, I'm way the heck out here, and the experience is here. And so let's just say that the experience was an experience of an arising of anger, something like that. It comes up. Well, I'm out here in the story. If my boss just didn't do that, or my girlfriend didn't do that, or my boyfriend didn't do that, you see, I'm out here projecting through whatever all over the place, but I'm not with the actual anger. I don't see anger as a process that's just arisen and running its natural course, and it's going to pass away at a certain point. And this is, it's so obvious, but it's so subtle, and it's the type of thing that prevents people, meditators, from actually beginning to enjoy their meditation, actually beginning to um, enjoy the process that's unfolding, because they think that there's something that they need to be doing in a certain way. It's got to happen in a certain way. You see, we have all of these expectations that are part of this that keep us from this. And it, and it separates us from our experience. So we think, okay, if we did this, then this wonderful thing would happen. So there's this... Um, this this quality in mindfulness that event, that we slowly and gradually begin to cultivate, where we can begin to look at experience and see it in a more direct way. And when we're with our experience in a more direct way, we're sort of in the present moment, and life is much juicier. Life is much more engaged, where we feel more interested then. So I will give you an example that I used with the, with the class that I just taught. And a man asked me a, a, a question, you know, uh, what, why is mindfulness important? Why, why do we need to do mindfulness in order to do other kind of meditation practices? And, and the, the real answer is that until we know what's happening, we're completely lost. And it's with mindfulness that we know what's happening. So um, maybe what I'll do is offer a couple of definitions of mindfulness that uh, are useful to, at least they were useful to me. And one is the classic definition of mindfulness is that it's that quality of mind that, that remembers. So in the case of meditation, it's remembering the meditation object. It's remembering, if you're doing breath meditation, you're remembering the breath. If you're doing body meditation, you come into the body. But you remember what the object and the focus of your meditation is. That's a classic definition. There's also this quality called bare awareness that simply knows what's arising as it arises, and when the next thing arises, you know that the next thing 
has arisen. And when the next thing arises, you know the next thing has, has arisen. And eventually, what you're able to do with a practice like that is you're able to, if you're able to stay with what's arising and passing away, just as it is, without getting your preferences in the way, you're able to connect the dots. And when that happens, there's a continuity of attention that turns into concentration. And so the mind begins to settle. And what has happened is that we've created the conditions in which meditation can occur. So developing these skills of mindfulness are obvious and they're also so easy to miss. They're so subtle. And I know that Andrea does a really good job with this, but a lot of teachers sort of gloss over it. And um, it bears mentioning here, I think. And that is that our daily life experience presents us with 10,000 opportunities to notice what's going on. And in the noticing, we are cultivating the habit of mindfulness. So when we begin to notice in our own daily experience what's occurring in our, the heat of our day-to-day relationships, what's occurring, we're beginning to train the mind to see what's going on, when it's going on, and when we're in meditation and the mind sort of unfolds before us, instead of just being sort of washed away by our thinking or our emotions or whatever happens to come up, we have cultivated in our daily life experience this quality that it allows us to look at our formal sitting practice in a way that reveals to us much, much more. And so when we can be mindfulness, mindful, we can gain access to a deeper levels of understanding, deeper, deeper insights. So with this, this man this morning, uh, or, or not this morning, but this, this evening here, I use the example of shaving, you know. I don't know how many times I shave and I put the razor down and I don't even know I've shaved. I've been planning my day. I've been thinking about what happened the day before. I've been thinking about what's going to happen next week. And the whole experience of shaving just came and went, and I missed the whole thing. See? How many times have you noticed yourself driving down a freeway, and then five minutes later, you say, how did I get from there to here without running into someone? You see? So to drive mindfully, mindfully, to be aware while you're driving, it's a way that you, it's, you know, the mindfulness that happens there is the same as the mindfulness that happens when we sit down and close our eyes. It's just that when we sit down, we don't oftentimes think that we have to sort of prepare the ground 
We have to create the environment and the conditions in which meditation can occur. So you all came in tonight from busy day, from having a busy day. I'm sure I certainly did. And I brought all that energy in here with me. So if I sit down and I think, <clears throat> now it's time to focus on the breath, breathing in, breathing out, breathing in, breathing out, and I slam the mind onto the breath, what do I get besides a headache and a disappointment? You know, because I've got all this energy that's stirring up inside of me, that's stirred up inside of me. And for me to pretend that that energy isn't there, to resist it or deny it, is total delusion. And it's the way that we create suffering. So if we want to talk in terms of Dhamma, which I'm hoping I'm at least touching on here, we are missing an opportunity to see suffering and the creation of suffering, the first and second of the Buddha's noble truths. You see? So we don't have to have some bells and whistle experience to gain insight or access to insight that will that will take us to deeper and deeper levels of understanding. What we have to do, if we have to do anything, is just wake up to what's happening in our daily life and begin to see how the same thing reveals itself in our meditative experience. So in my own practice, what I do is if I can share that with you, is that I kind of dance back and forth when the mind, when I sit down and the mind isn't settled or the, I sit down and I'm focusing on the breath and then the mind drifts away or something. Um, you know, <clears throat> and then I come back to the breath and the mind drifts away and then I come back to the breath and the mind drifts away and then I come back to the breath and boy, I'm really tired of the mind drifting away and I've been a monk, so my mind shouldn't drift, right? <laughs> oh boy, is that time for suffering? You see, that will really unglue me. You see, so... <clears throat> thinking about these things really aren't very productive. What I, because I'm already caught in judgment by the time I realize I'm judging. You see, it, it happens so fast on the mental level. But what, I, what I've learned is to start paying more attention to what judging feels like as it comes up as an experience felt in the body itself. You see, the body will signal what's happening. You already know what judgment is. I don't, I don't have to tell myself, oh, now you're judging. I know that I'm judging because of the feeling the contraction that I'm experiencing, but that I'm denying because I prefer a pleasant experience. I don't want an unpleasant experience. So I resist, I deny, 
I'm aversive to it, I push it away, I clamp down on, on the breath. I mean, I never do these things, this is just an example, right? <laughs> and, bingo, I, I'm, I've, I get the, the suffering gold medal. So, this cultivation of mindfulness allows us to recognize in, the, in our daily life, but in the meditation itself, when something is about to happen. You see? And when I recognize judgment, when you can recognize judgment or anger or wanting or preferring or whatever it is that is going on for you, when you can recognize that quality, there, Gil says there's a kind of space that's created around it so that there can be a more skillful response to it. And sometimes that occurs and sometimes it doesn't occur in my experience. Sometimes I don't, I don't, my mindfulness isn't bright enough and I get caught. Sometimes my mindfulness is bright enough and I still am unskillful. You know, uh, it's like, and I just haven't quite seen clearly enough what's happening. So to really be interested and to be really curious um, about your experience without resisting your experience or fighting with your experience this will allow the meditation to unfold in a much more natural way. Because meditation, you know, I know you're all meditators here, this isn't an introductory class, but meditation isn't about everything being pleasant. It isn't about being happy. It isn't about, you know, attaining any particular kind of state or mental state, you see. It's meditation is um, a process that unfolds when we're able to sort of get out of the way. And the only way that we can really get out of the way and let go and put things down are to see what it is that has actually got us, hooked us. You see, until we know we're angry, until we know we want, we desire something, until these things are clear to us, we're hooked by them, you see. And if we try to let go, just put them down ourselves. You see, it's as though our ego is trying to like let go of something that it needs in order to feel safe. So sometimes people, even though things hurt, they're more comfortable and willing to allow conditions to remain as they are rather than to face what is not known. 
So I don't know if I'm the only one that's ever, <laughs> that's ever done something like that, but it doesn't, it doesn't make a lot of sense and it doesn't pay the kind of dividends that one might be hoping for. So in, in the process of learning how to meditate, um, I think it's a, I think it's a, a lifelong process. Is, is, this is what it seems like to me. I sit down in the morning and I meditate and I have one kind of an experience and I sit down at night and I meditate and it's a completely different experience. And I've learned, you know, that there are skills and that can be honed and developed and there's terrain and territory that becomes familiar but the expectation of things being a certain way sooner or later gets us into a comfort zone where we almost stop being interested, we stop looking. And that's why it's useful to review periodically what mindfulness meditation really is and how you can cultivate it, how it's actually cultivated and how it's experienced. Now, you know, you could talk for a month on what this is or a lifetime on what this is. Um, But what I'm trying to share here is that the lived experience the actual direct experience is what generally calls people to meditation. It's not someone telling you about that experience or reading about that experience. It's, it's having the experience itself. And, and it's important to have spiritual friends, to have Kalyanamita. It's important and it's important to listen to Dhamma talks, and it's important to read, and it's important to study. But it's also important to actually practice. And sometimes people, I'm mentoring a student right now, and he keeps asking me to give him reading assignments. And I, I, one reading assignment after another, after another reading assignment, and then... And then uh, It's a way to, to sort of feed your desire to be engaged, but it's kind of secondhand. It's like being engaged out here. And so the direct engagement is with life itself. And in the meditation, the meditation then becomes... Um, much more interesting, much more juicy, and it doesn't have to be any particular way. Whatever is going on in the meditation is literally, I hate to use a cliche, but grist for the mill. So if you wanted to do something, someone asked me a question earlier, and if you wanted to cultivate a spiritual practice and 
the cultivation of the practice itself is a really wholesome and, and beautiful wanting. There can be an, another kind of wanting that's more subtle and underneath that. And it's, that can be counterproductive. And so the practice that you're trying to cultivate because of this, this sort of hidden, covert, unrecognized wanting, we can distort the practice and it won't unfold for us because the ground hasn't been prepared. So what we have to do is we have to begin to see clearly what's actually going on. That creates the conditions for the mind to settle and us to be undisturbed. Because when there's disturbance in the mind, that energy from the day, when that's still going, the mind doesn't really have a chance to really settle down, really settle down and touch this place of silence or stillness. And we all touch that from time to time. But there's a way to touch that in a much more um, purposeful, in a much more purposeful, um, intentional way. We can learn the skills. We can learn the terrain. We can dance back and forth. We can notice when we're shaving, when we're driving, when we're brushing our teeth. I mean, everybody brushes their teeth once a day at least. And... And most of us don't ever take the time to notice what's happening when we brush our teeth. And it's not that brushing our teeth is so important, but to bring our attention to a simple act like brushing the teeth, when we're brushing the teeth and what's going on when we brush the teeth, is how you develop mindfulness. It's how you grow mindfulness. It's how you you know, how you begin to see, oh, this is what mindfulness means. Because when the mind drifts away from brushing the teeth, you know, and you (laughs) brush too hard and cut a gum or something, uh, uh, you, you know the difference. You know the difference. And so what I would suggest is that if you just, in your daily life experience, if you dance back and forth between being when you know that you're present and then when you know that you're not present. When you're not present, knowing it, that's it. As soon as you know it, you're present again. That's what it's all about. So you don't have to fight with not being present. It's just when that happens, you're back, you see. So whatever happens, so... I didn't mean to use my student in a in a way that sounded like um, he was being lazy or anything because he he isn't he's the most sincere guy and I really I really enjoy working with him but what we discovered today was that <clears throat> that he he m- me I also am very prone to this, receive the world through the mind, through thinking, and I ignore the body, 
I don't really intentionally ignore it, but I don't realize that the body is like a radar screen and everything that passes up or down or sideways can be known in the body. You see? So, so you can know when you're shaving and you can know when you're not shaving. You can know when you're angry and you can know when your anger has passed. You can know what it's like to be aware of anger and you can know what it's like when you're unaware of anger and angry. You can begin to know these things and you can notice them in your daily experience and then you can notice them in your meditative experience. And in this way, this whole practice just is a, uh, it's just a meshing together. There's nothing that separates there's nothing that's separate. You don't have to be harsh with yourself any longer. You don't have to prove anything. Your life is giving you every opportunity to wake up. You see? And you wouldn't be here tonight if something wasn't stirring in your heart, if you didn't desire to know something with greater clarity. You know? And that's another thing that I would like to say, that, you know sometimes when we practice for a while, we, um, we lose that direct sense of that stirring in the heart because we're thinking about it too much or we're, it's been relegated to, the, to, the, to, to this file cabinet up here. And don't, don't let that disappear because that heart... Um, that movement of the heart that calls to you or that stirs within you in whatever way it does is what is your refuge. It's what will sustain you. It's what will keep you. You see, it can get pretty dry up in your mind or in the mind if you're just thinking, 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 analyzing things. But there's a way that you can feel the movement of the heart, you can feel um, what's known as metta, um, this quality of heart. Uh, is It stirs within everyone, you see. And, and so it's important every once in a while to consciously bring your attention back to, how did I get here? Why am I here? What's going on? What do I want here? What do I think is... Is, and when I say here, I'm talking about the practice. I'm not talking about IMC. IMC is great. Keep coming to IMC all the time. We love, we love you here at IMC. But I'm talking about the practice. And, you know, when we sit down and we close our eyes and we feel that we're sitting in the body, that's it. We are just there by ourselves. And that's when, you know the mind is a catastrophe or the mind is a playground. And it really depends on the way that, it depends a lot on our attitude, you know, uh, to a great deal. But it depends on the degree to which we're willing to try to cultivate mindfulness. And mindfulness can be difficult to cultivate um, when the mind is in catastrophe mode when the day is swirling around and so and so don't you know don't beat yourself up because this happens to everyone
And if you can simply know that that's what's happening, then you're mindful. That, that's being mindful. That's being as mindful as any other moment of mindfulness. So when I had this operation, I was trying to meditate in my hospital bed. And there was just no way that I could meditate. Uh, I mean, there, to meditate in the way that I'm used to meditating. It just wasn't possible. But I could know that there was no way that I could meditate. And in that way, I was meditating. And there, there was a kind of continuity of experience that allowed me to be more equanimous with the situation that I found myself in, rather than screaming in aversion, get me out of here, I want this pain to go away, and don't get close to me and expect me to get out of bed. So, um, so does anyone have any questions or comments I know you must. Is why is it such hard work? You know, it seems uh, I, I've been doing it for a while at home, and it's nice to come here and get a whole different perspective. Um, but to stay mindful is such seems to be such hard work. In terms of shaving, because mm-hmm. I had your class last week, so I'm thinking this week I'm doing these things. I'm thinking about oh. it. It's really hard. I want to turn on my radio in the morning. Mm-hmm. You know, I listen to NPR every morning. <clears throat> So I, I seem to want these distractions, and it seems to be, uh, I mean, we know it's difficult because that's why we have to do a practice, but uh, it seems like it would be a natural state, not an alien state to strive for. It's, it seems like it should be easier, but it's not. It's very hard work for me to well, not have a distraction. Well, don't feel special. <laughs> it's hard work for everyone, believe me. Yeah, it's hard work for everyone. And what you're beginning to notice is the mind that needs or wants and thinks it needs to be distracted. You see? That's what you're noticing. And with mindfulness, you could look at that and you could, you could look below that and you would begin to discover other things, possibly. So... It's not always comfortable to practice mindfulness in the beginning because we begin to see these things that are running our lives, these habits of mind. And so in, in the Buddhist vernacular, they'd be referred to as defilements. But not defilements as though they're sinful or bad in that way, but because th- they keep us in a state of not knowing what's happening, sort of a state of ignorance. That's what a defilement actually is uh, in, in, in this context. And so it's true. We do have these wants. We want not to have things be a certain way. We want them to be another way. And when we sit down to meditate, we're going to get a show of the whole catastrophe. And so some part of us says, wow, this is really hard work. I just, I'm not up to this. Or everybody else is really settled down and I'm the only one that's all over the, you know, the map. But believe me, it's not true. You know, I also want to say 
that it is possible to settle down and not be all over the map. What I'm trying to say here tonight is that if you are all over the map, it's completely natural, it's completely normal, this is what happens, this is what minds are like. And when we sit down for us to expect something other than what's actually in our, within ourselves, within our own minds, it's just delusion, you know, and we're setting ourselves up to suffer. And so rather than fight with the fact that you want distractions, or you think you need these distractions in order to keep you safe and make you happy, just notice that you have this want, that you have this habit that you have. And this is the way you can use your daily life experience in, in, you know, in sync with, with your meditation practice. And you'll notice things in your meditation practice that will come up in your daily life experience, which will, you know, it's like uh, you'll have a, you know, a conflict with someone at work or something, and you'll begin to notice certain feelings or certain a tendency to lash out or to defend yourself or to withdraw and hide or whatever. You'll begin to say, oh, that, wow, look at that happening again, that type of thing. And so these things really are very complementary to one another. It's very, it's very important to feel to allow yourself to begin to trust what the body is feeling. Because the body is, um, the body will just feel what it's feeling. It doesn't trick you as readily as the mind will trick you. The mind is much more subtle. Or things on a mental level are much more subtle, let me put it that way. Your mind isn't your enemy. Thank you for your question. So my question has to do with difficult feelings. Difficult. Difficult feelings. Feeling or healing? Feelings. Okay. Okay. Um, there are certain feelings that's very persistent, very hard. That means it's like, you know, you don't want to touch it. It's just too painful mm-hmm. to go there. And, uh, and it keeps coming back. Mm-hmm. Does, how does meditation help, you know, this kind of feelings? So I want to be careful in the way that I respond to your question, because if you're describing something that's very difficult, and it, it's a bringing up a powerful emotional reaction, or there's some real supercharge to it, um, I want to tell you to meet it with caution, first of all, with kindness, but with um, with uh, a dis- with a discriminating mind in terms of of how close you want to get to it. Um, but if it's a difficult feeling that's just like normally difficult, that type of thing, then to notice that the fe- that this difficult feeling has arisen again that's all so 
if the mind says, why does this happen? When is it going to end? I thought I processed it all. What's this all about? That type of thing. You see, if you try to think too much about the difficult feeling, it will catch you over and over and over again. If you simply can... No, if you, this is the dance I'm talking about. You get close to it, and then when it's too close, you let up a little bit, and then let it come back again. And but you can't force it to come back. But when it does, um, the more you get familiar with it, the more you're you would be able to actually meet it. With the idea that if you can be with the experience itself without pulling back, shirking away, or pushing it away, resisting it. If you can get past that resistance to the actual, if you can come in and actually connect with the actual feeling, then this base that Gil talks about is it's really possible to experience that kind of letting go in a very immediate way when that kind of contact can happen. But until that kind of contact can happen, um, you have to be careful. This is my own experience. Another teacher would tell you something completely different. But I've had that experience myself, and I I continue to have it from time to time. And I find that the only thing that works is that I have to know what that feeling is. You see, I keep looking, and but, but when I get out of the story, she said, he said, you see, and there's no more story, then there's just this feeling. And there's like, I know the feeling. You know the feeling, right? Uh, you know the feeling. You don't need to put words on it. The feeling is known. So it's from that place of awareness that you can get close enough to see what's actually happening. You can get close enough to the actual experience, to the actual feeling. You might not be able to say what the feeling actually is. You know, you might think, oh, this is difficult because of X, Y, Z, but when you actually touch it, it might be A, B, C. Something like that. So it's through mindfulness. Mindfulness will tell you how far you can go, literally, Mindfulness will tell you when you're in the red zone and to get out. Mindfulness will tell you when you're being, you know, when you're guarded. Mindfulness is simply like a mirror. It, whatever is in front of it, it just reflects that back. So, but we have to, we have to be willing to see what's in the mirror without telling a story about what's in the mirror. So this feeling is is in the mirror and then there's the story connected with the feeling that's in the mirror and it's obscuring the actual difficulty you see and so what happens is that <clears throat> i i think that these experiences get sort of lodged in our bodies they get lodged in our psyche. They get lodged in our energetic body. There's not a, it can't like go through its normal process. And so it 
get stuck. We get stuck. And so these things come up for us over and over and over and over again until, until we just turn away and say, you know, where's the bear? Or, or we are willing to, to actually get down to business. And um, the thing that's tricky is if you, if you have this quality of doing, if you're going to like, I'm going to do this feeling, I'm going to figure out what this feeling is, and I'm going to be free myself from it once and for all, that attitude generally doesn't work. What I was trying to say here a little bit earlier was that that it's only by knowing what's actually going on that there can be a letting go. Because in seeing anger, it doesn't, it no longer is us. There's no longer me letting go of anger. There's anger being known with no me in it. And then from that place, there's a kind of release. If there's a scary feeling, you see, there's, there's a scary feeling, and I'm so invested in the scary feeling, and I'm so identified, this is, this is happening to me, this is how, you know, this, is, this is who I am now, or something. It's like I've got myself in there. It's a way that I have created an identity for myself without realizing it. We all do it, again. So, so I want to say you're not special in that regard either. None of us are special. We all have these things that go on um, within us. And it's through practices like this that we begin to be able to see these things with greater clarity. And it's through this, it's just in the act of seeing that the letting go happens. It happens automatically. I heard teachers say for years, let go, let go, let go. And I said, if I knew how to let go, I would let go. Stop telling me to let go. <laughs> I, I don't know how to let go. And when I, I stumbled upon it, it was to simply be with that experience, to, to see it. Once I, I, I see it, I see it's not the boogeyman that I thought it was. Or it is the boogeyman. Who knows? I don't. I, I can't tell you. But I tell you, if it's very, very powerful, do be careful and, and work with it with with your teacher, whoever your teacher is. But if this is like normal kind of things, a little bit more intense than wanting to be distracted, uh, the way to do it is to just you know know what it's like when you're getting close to it and know when what your limits are and then back away and then the next time it comes up just keep getting closer and closer and closer until you can actually be with it and let it wash through so that it's not lodged in your body or in your psyche or in your energy body or something something like that is that helpful yeah thank you good all right, one more question. I'm curious about anger and how the mind processes anger and allowing the anger to dissipate. 
Mm -hmm. uh, and perhaps every individual processes anger in their own unique way, like uh, drinking beer, mm -hmm. uh, get grabbing that ice cream bar, mm -hmm. uh, going home watching television. Right. If we are in the act and we are knowing what we are doing in order to dissipate our anger, mm -hmm. can you say that we are being mindful in the moment? Well, uh, yes and no, actually. I, 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 would, I would say that's not a question that's as tongue-in-cheek as you're making it out to be, because in a way, you would be mindful if you knew what was happening. But um, what you might not be mindful of is that you're sort of giving in to your preferences, that there's a sort of surrender to this state that's come up that you've identified with, that you've invested with self. So mindfulness, developing mindfulness, would help you to see what's going on. So it would help you in a situation like that not to judge yourself for you know, having a beer or eating an ice cream cone or whatever it is that you do when you get angry. It would, it would, it would help you t to recognize what was actually happening. So the next time you get angry, you know, you might, before you grab the beer or the ice cream cone, you might know, oh, this is what's coming. You see, it's, this doesn't happen like all at once. It happens gradually. And so you might, under, you might have an understanding that will come and, and it'll be brilliant for a day or two. And then you go back to your old habits and think, well, what's that all about? But once something has been seen and known even more importantly, then it can never really fool you again. You see? So um, for people with like addictive personalities and with addiction problems, let's say, until, and well, I don't know much about addiction, so if I, I'm sure that there are many people here who might know more than I do, but what I am about to say is until the problem is recognized, until the problem is admitted to oneself, the healing can't begin. And so it's a, a little bit like that with, with meditation or even with something like anger. So you can look at anger and you could say, oh, this is the way I'm processing anger. This is what I do to process anger. But, and and the, you might have very skillful ways to do that. And I encourage you to cultivate those ways. But what I was talking about is to recognize it's sort of from a, a meditative mindful Say, what we're doing is we're recognizing that an emotion has arisen. We're labeling that emotion anger, and we are knowing what anger is because we're feeling anger in a certain way. So we're actually investigating anger. We're not investigating my anger or what I do about anger. We're just recognizing anger. And in the recognition of anger, 
you begin to, there's a letting go that begins to happen. And in that letting go and in that space, there may occur to you from who knows where, some more creative and skillful way to deal with the anger than the beer or the ice cream cone, you see. But to answer your question, if you know that you're processing it in your way and this is how you're going to do it so you don't end up like smacking someone, that's mindful. I mean, you're being mindful, you see. But the kind of mindfulness that we're trying to cultivate here is to see things at a deeper meditative level. And you can do that through watching yourself want the beer or want the ice cream cone. You see, you can know, oh, that's, what I, that's what's happening now. This arose, this has triggered me, this is how I'm reacting to that, this is what I'm doing. You begin to, you, you just begin to see it in your daily life. So that's a little bit more subtle, and it could be a little bit more um, elusive, but you can notice what it's like when you're driving, and you notice what it's like when you've driven two miles and you don't know how you've gotten from point A to point B. You can notice what it's like when you're aware of brushing your teeth. You can notice what it's like when you brush your teeth and aren't noticing. Those are simple ways that you can begin to develop mindfulness. And this mindfulness that you develop in that way, you bring into your meditation so you can meet difficult experiences, so that you can meet the desire for distractions, so that you can meet, you know, beautiful, blissful states that may come up, and so on and so forth. Is that helpful? I see a frown on your thing. We're a little bit past 9 o'clock, so what I'd like to do is I, I'd be happy to talk to you further, and anybody who would like to leave or needs to leave, please don't feel like you need to sit here any longer. And you're welcome to stay if you like. So let's finish your question here. Okay. Um, you told me that... It's somewhere half, halfway. There's a halfway understanding, or I don't want. I don't want to get confused. Mm-hmm. Um, if if I am processing anger, mm-hmm. I feel anger inside me, I, and I'm processing it, and I'm in the moment, mm-hmm. and I know about the addictions. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I'm accepting them mm-hmm. by allowing distraction, mm-hmm. and I'm allowing myself to get an ice cream cone. Right. Isn't that being mindful? Yes, it is. In a way, that is being mindful. But, but as I was saying, underneath that unfolding, that event that unfolds in the in your way of processing this, there are other things that are going on which when you cultivate your mindfulness and brighten your mindfulness, you will be able to see these other things. When that happens, 
there's a kind of space that occurs that may allow you to respond to anger, in this example, in a way that's that might feel more skillful to you than the ice cream cone. There's nothing wrong with an ice cream cone. I'm not judging the ice cream cone. There's no judgment here at all. But mindfulness is, mindfulness, you can almost, you know, you begin to see things and then you begin to see things more deeply and then you begin to see things more deeply. And it's in the seeing and knowing of the arising of anger itself that the letting go begins to happen. You see? But until you can actually see it without being invested in it, without it being your anger, your process, your ice cream cone, your this or your that, you know, um, there's a kind of continuity of of response or reaction. Reaction is, well, no, you're a response in your case because you're talking about something that is a skillful way for you to process. Um, I don't want to in any way suggest to you that what you're doing is wrong. I don't want to in any way <laughs> suggest to you that there's only one way to know anger and to deal with anger. I was just offering another way where anger is known directly and we we in the knowing of it we also know what's going on in the reaction we also know you know we we feel the kind of need that comes from wanting the ice cream cone or wanting the reward or wanting the this or wanting the distraction so we begin to look at what's going on what's really going on here we look deeper and deeper and deeper so there's levels of mindfulness. Okay. 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 Um, I, I think I'm, getting, I'm starting to understand what you're saying about the, the different levels of mindfulness when it comes to suddenly having a feeling. Mm-hmm. Appear. Mm-hmm. I, I'm starting to think also the physiological aspects of it, mm-hmm. and I know that that um, when I'm under a lot of stress mm-hmm. and I feel angry, mm-hmm. a lot of it is psychosomatic. Mm-hmm. Um, I see the difficulty in um, catching that that feeling or emotion just microseconds before it even starts mm-hmm. so so i would say give yourself a break be kind to yourself this is called a practice because what you're talking about requires v- a high degree of sophistication. To be able to catch something like that moments before it starts means that your mindfulness is already, you know, almost brilliant. I would, I would be, <laughs> maybe it's hyperbolic of me to say such a thing, but I don't think so. So, you know, this happens gradually. You, you know, sometimes you'll catch it, 
and most of the time you won't catch it. And you'll catch it and then it'll disappear. But you just keep going back and you start over and over and over again. You start and continue over and over and over again. And when you do that, you will begin to see that that in itself is disciplining the mind. It's a, it's a mental discipline. And you will begin to see that through the simple knowing of whatever it is. Let's say, let's say it was expectation rather than anger. Okay. You see? So you will begin to see the way that expectation unfolds in your experience, see? And, and you'll see expectation as basically a mental state or a, 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 a thought or an emotion that's being manifested in a, in, through, you know, expectation. You'll begin to see that without being invested. It doesn't carry the same charge I can see that anger does for you. So a, a way to deal with anger is to look at other things, uh, uh, maybe a skillful way would be to look at these other things that aren't so charged for you and learn how to get closer to them and to see them directly, to s sort of come in closer. And then when you can actually get, f feel, you know, sort of strong enough, then you can look at things that are more difficult for you, like the woman who asked the question about difficult feelings, you see? And my response to her was, by all means, be careful if this is a really charged thing, work with the teacher for those kinds of things, you see? But, um, you know, anger is a process that arises and passes away. It is not who you are or I am. We can, can experience anger and we can express it and manifest it, but it is not who we are. It simply comes and goes. And what happens is that we sort of saddle ourselves with this identity, I'm an angry person. You see, this is my anger. When I'm stressed, I am really angry. So. It's a lot to think about, and you can't get it in one night. I'm getting it. Okay. Sometimes it takes a little bit more time. All right. I hope it's been, I hope it's been useful, and I'm going to, I'm going to thank you. I'm going to turn this off. Okay. Thank you for your question. Okay.